0: If you would be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Uh, Good morning to you all. I'm Cameron. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Community Church. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we find ourselves at verses 11 through 16. We're actually going to back up a little bit and capture some of what we uh, didn't get to last week, and then the rest of it we'll capture actually in the uh, preparatory letter for uh, communion, which is next Sunday. So if you would uh, be turning there, and I want to tell you what it is that uh, I want us to walk away with, most of all from this uh, sermon this morning, from this text, is that the purpose of the church, and this is this is so critical, because there's so many things that vie for our attention. There are so many things, that uh, I think that we as a church could easily get tangled up in and think that we should be doing and be about. But at the end of the day, the real measure of what we're doing, of who we are, is whether or not we equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry and mature us as a whole further into the image of Christ for the life of the world. For all that we could do that, that, that's good, this is best. Now, What's really important is that we, we understand two terms, and we're going to work on these terms because I think we all carry a, a bit of baggage on these terms. Uh, one is the word ministry. There's a, a host of things I think that we hear when we hear the word ministry that we need to deconstruct so that we don't go measuring ourselves against the wrong thing, or thinking that it's some sort of hierarchical, uh, or if it's, it's some sort of specialized reality. No, it's just life. And so we'll talk about that a bit more. And then the word maturity. I think a lot of times that we think that true maturation is, is somehow evidence that we don't struggle anymore. Now, actually, maturing saints will tell you the struggle gets stronger. It becomes more real because as we are uh, seeing ourselves in light of who Christ is and all that he's done, we can't help but be in awe and humbled by his great greatness and his love for us. So the more that we go and the more that we see how strongly we needed a savior, which is true maturation, a recognition of our great need, uh, then that actually means sometimes we're going to struggle harder. Our doubts will actually increase, right? If you, if you go reading through the Bible, you're going to run into some stuff that you can't just flat-footed explain, that you, that you can't that You don't know what to do with, and it takes time. I can tell you as, as someone who studied the Bible for years, both uh, as, as my vocation and just as a disciple of Christ, uh, there were things that I came across in different points where I, I thought, I, I hope I don't ever have to preach this because I don't know what in the world I'd say. But the Lord in great grace in some of those instances, not in all thus far, but in some of them has brought an understanding of his character, of his purpose and his point in such a way that I would have no problem preaching some of those things today, uh, I, I think. I don't it sounds kind of arrogant, but, but just because it's God's word, right? We're not gonna back away from it because of that. And so, uh, so I think it's important that we recognize maturity is not at all about perfection. And it's very important that we remember our theology. When will, and Josh has already alluded to this, when is it that you will look most like Christ and be glorified? When Christ returns. Can you accomplish it prior to then? Is there, is there several paths by which you can achieve some sort of perfection in the Christian life? No, there's one way, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that also includes glorification. And so for us to try to think that we're going to be perfected in this life is a fool's errand. And in fact, you're ensuring that you won't at all even try. Here's what I've discovered about us, myself included. When we can't do something perfect, we tend not to do it at all, right? It's, It's a fascinating thing. We see it with giving, we see it with lots of different things. Like if I, can't, if I can't do what I said I would do, then I'm not doing anything at all. If I can't serve to the level that I think I'm capable, if I can't, and, yet, and so we limit ourselves because we have this idea that perfection is the goal. Now, you've, here, here's the great news. So, so take heart. You've been perfected. As you, as you are in Christ before the very throne of God, You have been pronounced perfect and sealed until His coming. That's just Colossians 3. So you don't have to wrestle with getting God to love you. You don't have to wrestle with getting God to like you. You don't have to wrestle with getting God to know who and whose you are. You are to wrestle with the truth of all that so that when you get to the new heavens, new earth, you'll have something to shout about. And so remember the good news that as we talk about these things, maturity and ministry, do not let Satan whisper low into your ear something other than what it is the gospel is pronouncing over you. And so it's important that we not forget all those indicatives that, that Paul stacked up in, in, in Ephesians 1 through 3. Don't forget the beautiful truth that you have both grace and peace in Christ as a finished product. And that continues to fuel us as we go on in and for the life of the world. We're not in Christ for ourselves. We are in Christ for the life of the world so that we would be in the world but not of the world. Let me give you just a quick, to help us with that maturity since that's such an overarching part of this passage. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says about this. He says, Christian maturity, and this is you need to hear this. So give me your attention at least for this part. Christian maturity is not a matter of doing more for God. Did you hear that? Now, the question of whether or not you heard it, we'll see in the next month or so, right? To say that we've heard it's one thing, but to live out of it is a whole nother. So it's not that we're doing more for God. It is God doing more in and through us. It's actually the other way around. It's us submitting ourselves, maturity is submitting yourselves more fully to to God's characteristics and God's call upon our lives, which oftentimes looks nothing like what the triumphalistic Christian life that we tend to long for. He says, immaturity is noisy with anxiety-fueled self-importance. How many of us, we're, we're just dead in the water right there? But take heart. God doesn't leave you there. Maturity is quietly content to pursue a life of obedient humility. Christian worship, listen, Christian worship is an intentional act of redressing the proportions, the priorities. From me working for God to God working in me, which is the Holy Spirit. So we we have to redo that. In fact, if his mercy is new every single morning, what does that seem to suggest about your need? You've got to hear it fresh, which is why it's so important that we do practice the spiritual disciplines and devotions. And even more, we need to gather with God on a regular basis just to practice for this thing that's going to take an eternity to play out, which is why we gather in worship. And so we need to, as we come into worship, recognize this redressing of proportions and priorities, right? And we should be, instead of us asking whether or not I am pleased or you are pleased, we should say, Lord, were you pleased with our offering this morning? And good news for all of us is he sees it through the lens of Christ and pronounces amen, well done. Even when we're dragging, even when we are struggling, I know that messes with us. Wait, did Cameron say we could come any way we want to? No, because if you come in any way you want to, you're going to miss it. It doesn't change what God does and is true. The question is whether or not are you clued in and participating, right? God's faithful. As Josh said, is he's the same, he doesn't change. We waver, but that wavering doesn't have the final say. And so as we step into this text, I want to make sure that we hear it in the right key and that we make sure that we don't lose track of the grace and peace that Christ has blood bought for us, right? That we would not hear this as you need to go out and do more. If you're going to be equipped for ministry, you, you got to be, there, there's, there's a lot more you need to be doing, please do not hear that. Remember what we've said. It's not about you doing more. It's about you leveraging and understanding what you have already been given in your spheres of influence through the sovereignty and goodness of God. You're not where you are because he's punishing you. You're where you are because he's got something to say to you that's good. And so how do we navigate those things for his glory? So if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, let's turn to the text I'm actually going to pick it up in verse 7 so that we have a context for for what he's going to say. Um, Paul says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now straight away, what does that say to us? It says that it's not based on you. It's not based on how you came to the table. It's how Christ came to the cross and out of the tomb and ascended to heaven. Amen? And so the grace that you're receiving is not founded on or based on your worthiness. It is given according to the measure of Christ. Well, what's the measure of Christ? Well, he conquered death. He rose, uh, ascended to heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, which means he reigns, and he provided, as a measure of doing that, the Holy Spirit, which we ought to take more uh, more time to think about and, and appreciate and access, given that he leads and guides and exalts Christ. So that measure is eternal. That measure of Christ is that he fills all in all. And that should mean something to us. It should never be that the measure of the grace that we have and the gifts that we have are us. Because when we're most honest, we find out that we are so horrifically limited, it is crippling. And so it is according to the measure of Christ that any of this must be thought through. And then it goes on. Therefore, it says, and now he's going to quote Psalm 68, 18, which was part of our call to worship last week. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That means that in the victory of Christ, we benefit. That in Christ's ascension, him going away actually means we gain more, as odd as that seemed to sound. Remember, he had this discussion with the disciples. He said, you all are going to do more than I've done. But I have to go away in order for that to happen. I have to go so that you receive the Holy Spirit in a way that has that just not been done yet. And we'll get to this when we talk about Pentecost in the book of Acts after Easter. And we talk about the Holy Spirit in Acts. And so it's important that we see that his death, his resurrection, his ascension has actually benefited us significantly. And that we've not been left behind as some sort of cruel joke. We've been given good work to do, which is why he's supplying these things to us. It says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And again, remember what Paul says in chapter 1. He says that the whole point of what Christ is doing is to reconcile all things to himself, not just people, not just a single race, not just a single gender, not just a single uh, um, uh, group of good people, right? Not a single nation, not even just people, but creation itself. All things will be united and restored in him. And so there's a a sense in which we need to have a cosmic appreciation. Sometimes our appreciation is just too small. And And this is saying that it was his His humiliation in coming as a human and dying on the cross and then his exaltation and rising from the grave uh, and and ascending to heaven, that it's through those things that we have the opportunity to step into the uh, becoming disciples of Christ. And so now that brings us to the passage that is the focus of our time. It says, and he gave. Who gave? And Christ gave. The apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers now, let me pause there for just a second we we've spent a lot of time trying to figure this thing out and like are there still apostles today uh, who's a prophet now, i think that's the wrong emphasis here the real emphasis here is every single one of these roles and i think that term is very important these are not intended to be the hierarchical uh, structure that the church would maintain forever in fact these folks kind of clip in and clip out based on calling. And so uh, we use the term the banks of the river. So I'll use that to try to help us understand what these roles were for. So think of the apostles as the ones who their job was to dredge the river. They're to dig it out and, and declare the banks, right? So they're the ones, if, if we were to read back into verses uh, three through six, with all those ones, one, one Lord that we read as part of our con- weekly confession, this, this week, they're the ones who established all those. They established what the river was and what the banks are, right? The prophets, their primary, and this is simplistic, by the way. It wasn't, this isn't singular. I'm just trying to give you some tent pegs to hold here. The prophets were the ones who were to make sure that we didn't spill the banks of the river, They were the ones that kept saying, get back in the river, okay? And they did it at different points in time. Sometimes they were called to do it with kings. Sometimes they were called to do it to kingdoms. Sometimes they were called to do it to priests. Each person had a unique calling. Think of Amos, farm boy from the south, right? Not not born of a prophet, didn't didn't fit the bill. And God shows up and says, hey, I need you to roll north. And you got some hard things you're going to say to them. And chances are, they ain't going to like it but go say it. So Amos does what he's called. He goes and knocks on the door. Of course, they look, at, look out through the peephole. And this is my interpretation, obviously. But they look through the peephole. They're like, you just think of the south. What are you doing here, boy? He's like, well, I've got some mail to deliver. I need to talk to somebody really important. I don't think the doorkeeper's the guy. And of course, they go back and forth for a while. And sooner or later, he gets to deliver the mail. He heads back south. And we never hear from him again. But he'll be in the new heavens, new earth. He was a prophet for a moment. Different prophets were called to different seasons of the church, right? And so the evangelists, think of them as the ones who are to uh, forge the river further into new territory and to call people that are living on the banks to get in the river. The flow of God's mercy and grace. And then the shepherd teachers, and then there's an argument whether or not this is two different things or one thing. I'm gonna argue it's just one for now. If it's two, that's fine as well because uh, we need more people in the harvest. And the shepherd teachers, think of it, their job is to teach people what the water is and where the banks are and to help them understand why it's important to stay in the river the river of God's mercy and love and grace. So these are all ministries of the word and they all have one function. And so it's, it's kind of a foolish thing for us to get tangled up into arguing about whether or not these things are still today. There's no new riverbanks. We have the word of God. So thus it seems the apostles' work has resolved. One time at Strong Tower, we used to get some pretty interesting people that would come through by virtue of us being a mission church. We are having a meeting, and, and somebody stood up and said, hey, I'm an apostle. I need to be recognized. And Tom Anderson, who was crazy like a fox, said, well, I'm a super apostle, and I ain't listening to you. <laughs> and the, the math don't work, but it, did, it got us through the moment, so it wasn't distracting. The other person had never heard of a super apostle, and so they had to acquiesce, as it turned out. And so... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it protected the church that night. Um, and so, so I, don't get tangled up in worrying about these things because they all serve one purpose. They are ministries of the word. They are given by Christ as a gift to his kingdom and his church to do this. Notice what it says that every single one of them are to do in their various forms, roles, and callings. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now here's where it gets a little tricky because again, I think we all have baggage on the word ministry. Right? Think about what you, when you hear that word, where does your mind immediately go? For some of you, you go immediately to specialization, right? That it's it's this unique kind of super Christian-y stuff, like you're not doing ministry unless you have a title at a church. Well, for those of us who actually have titles at the church, some sometimes it feels like we actually do less ministry. It can feel like at times. It can be harder. I can tell you it was much easier as a physical therapist to share the gospel with people in terms of their response to me. When I show up and I say I'm a pastor, it gets weird. It just does. I wish it didn't, uh, and I have to fight through it harder than at other times because, again, people have baggage on that term. They didn't really have baggage on the term physical therapist as much, as much. They called me a physical terrorist. it was all kind of other epithets, but for different reasons and so when I was, the gospel was actually refreshing to them uh, in some measure and so so this idea of ministry this this thinking that it 's a specialty thing that it's unless you are uh, you are reading a book with someone unless you are um, calling them to account unless you are doing certain things that are super religious or kind of uh, uh, spiritual in the in the kind of specific sense, then it's not ministry. I, I want to disentangle you from that. Because the, the, the work of the ministry, and, and what's so interesting is how this passage serves as a bit of what we call a janus. So it's looking back to chapters 1 through 3 and looking forward to what Paul's going to say in the rest of 4 through 6. And what's interesting is if you notice what he's going to unpack in four, the rest of 4 through 6... None of it is specialty ministry stuff. It's marriage, raising kids, working, loving your neighbor, how you live out certain things. None of it, none of it is you need a special title, you need a special calling, you need a special gift. No, the work of the ministry, and this is worth you taking note of, the work of the ministry is living out the truth of the gospel where you are. That's it, and that is a lot, if you think about it. So for those of you who, um, who have friends, how are you living out the ministry of the gospel in being a, a friend who resembles Jesus? That's ministry. So every gathering that you have has the potential, now, now be careful here, that you don't like plot and plan and over like make it super weird so nobody wants to hang out with you. Uh, but at the same time, there's, there's a sense in which we shouldn't be afraid of the beauty and truth of the gospel and sharing it in word and deed. It's not just that you, you make it explicitly clear with verbiage, but you also, it must be lived out, it must be exemplified. So if you've got friends, and I think most of you do, all of you should, you can do the work of the ministry. If you've got family, which is hard not to have, um, there's only kind of only Melchizedek gets to say there was, there was no family around him uh, to some extent. I'm not even sure that's exactly what that meant, but we come from somewhere and we got people around us. So if you've got family, you can do the work of the ministry. Susan had the opportunity a, a Sunday or so ago to go. And help out with my daughter-in-law uh, and my son called me. Said, and this is what, and I was I was so humbled by this. He said, Dad, mom's a saint. I said, No, duh, she's married to me. <laughs> uh, but but yes, there's additional evidences that uh, we could put up uh, that she's and it, and it meant so much to him for her to just go and do and be. So if you've got family. You've got the opportunity for ministry, a word fitly spoken in due season, an encouraging word, just remembering somebody's birthday or remembering some sort of annual event that was hard and not forgetting, which is something we kind of tend to do because we, we don't want to upset somebody, as if remembering is, is upsetting and so if, you, if you've got a wife or a husband, if you've got children, if you've got a job, you can do the work of the ministry. The question is, are you thinking through how that creatively can be done? I understand for some of you, just speaking of vocation, you're limited in what you can say. You, you could, if you get up in front of your class in a public classroom and you're like, all right, I know we're supposed to be doing biology, but let's, I'm, I'm going to teach you all intelligent design. And, uh, and, and you just launch into this. You, now, you can do that if that's what the Lord calls you to do, by all means, but you're going to bear the stroke of consequence that comes with that, which is fine, too, if that's what you're called to. But in most circumstances, you gotta, you, you, it's, it's a little more finesse than that. And so, and so what's amazing is what I hear from people who take this seriously, how they end up having these incredible gospel conversations over time because of how they are living out and doing their job. It doesn't have to be this overt punch them in the face kind of thing always. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. That's the creative breadth and the beauty of the gospel, right? There's no one way that it has to be done. And so what I want us to recognize straight away is every single one of you is currently in ministry. Did you know that? The question is, do you know that? Are you cognizant of that? And are you, are you praying, right? So, so, so many of us would not think that praying is ministry. No, the greatest ministry you will ever do, the greatest parenting ministry, You will ever do. The greatest friendship, the greatest part of your marriage, the greatest part of what you can do is prayer. And think about how Satan has got us so hung up on not wanting to do it. For any number of reasons. We all have our reasons as to why it's a struggle. But what would it look like if we as a church took seriously the true ministry, the beginning of all ministry, the foundational piece, actually the greatest work we will ever do is in prayer. What would that look like when this service ends or in other circumstances where we have access to each other? We know some of the things that's going on in each other's lives. Why wouldn't we rush to pray for one another? Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we rush to pray for the people who have to handle things uh, as... as As powerful and potentially destructive as God's word. Why are we not rushing to that ministry? Right? Which that doesn't require special training. It helps, right? There's ways in which we can be discipled in it, but it's just you, you Christ died so you would have quick access to the Lord your God, both mercy and grace in a time of trouble. And so please hear me that ministry, you're already doing it. The question is, are you using the means of grace as part of it? Because as I've said before, you're witnessing whether you know it or not. Everybody's got an opinion about you. Everybody's got an opinion that, that even neighbors you ain't met yet, they have opinions about you. They make up stories about you. There was a story made up about me because somebody saw my, gra- my wife cutting the grass in front Um, and I was on the riding lawnmower. People thought I was on this like palatial estate making sure that things were getting done. Uh, No, I'm allergic to the grass up there, and she loves me enough. You may say, well, you're weak. Yeah, duh. Uh, (laughs) But she loves me enough to take care of that part of the yard. Well, and once I explained that to my neighbors, you could tell they they all had opinions about it, which is fascinating. They're like, oh, you're not horrible. Well, as horrible. Um, so, but people have so, so you, please hear every single one of you if, you if you say you're a Christian you are in ministry everywhere you are question is are you active in ministry and that's where the church is supposed to come in and help equip you my job our job here is to help build you up in that and help you to see that it's, it's not specialty you don't have to go to seminary you don't have to have a particular calling on your life. You don't have to have a particular title. You don't even have to have permission on some of this stuff. But we want to help. We want to be part of it. anything that we can do to help you, whether it's to... And remember, marriage is ministry. Parenting is ministry. Loving aging parents is ministry. Loving family members who've gone off the rails is ministry. Loving neighbors who are half crazy is ministry. ministry. Uh, Working a job that is difficult and you don't know how to make it through without setting fire to everything on your way out. That's ministry, right? It is. So, So all of this is stuff that we need to be discussing and talking about and not just specialty stuff. While we do want discipleship groups, and we do want more small groups, and we do want men's and women's groups, and all those things are great, we, before you get to any of that, we want you to love the people around you really well so you've got something to talk about. And so we're here to equip that, and notice what it says. It says, for building up the body of Christ. So so remember, the ministry is you declaring grace and peace to those around you in the reign of Christ. That's ministry. And, it is, and so that helps to build up the body of Christ in two ways. One, hopefully it helps the church to grow, the family to get bigger. In another way, it also helps to strengthen our faith. When we see God be good, when we see him answer some prayer that we know full well, there's no way we could have done it. There's no way in a thousand years we could have convinced that person that Jesus is real, and yet the Lord saves them, draws them to himself in great mercy and grace. That builds us up. And as it goes on, look at what it says. Verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Again, that word unity is so important to the book of Ephesians. We can't do what we are called to do if we're wasting all of our time fighting about secondary issues. It's one of the great banes of the church's existence is we get so tangled up in having discussions. I'm not saying they're unimportant in some measure, but we just get tangled up in majoring on the minors and failing to major on the majors, right? And so, so it's important that, that we recognize is that what we're working toward is a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature adulthood or manhood. In this case. And so, what we're trying to do is to have a unified faith around the person and work of Christ, around the real majors, which he's listed before, like I said, in verses three through six or seven, and and all those ones that we should recognize and should not be divided over, right? Uh, and, and sometimes we do it without an argument. Sometimes a marriage blows apart because one or both spouses fail to see Christ as Lord. Sometimes you, you belie your belief on the majors by how you treat your children, how you speak of them, how you speak to them. Sometimes you, you, you show what you think about one faith with how you speak of the church and its leaders or its worship there's ways in which we, we do this without really having much of an argument, but the product, the aftermath is there. And so what we long for is a unity in the faith, the things that are major. And notice that it focuses on knowledge of the Son of God. And knowledge is not just head knowledge. It's not that we could go win some Bible trivia thing at Taco Mac, but that we would actually live out that truth That 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 knowledge would translate into behaviors and obediences that are reflective of the Son of God. And notice it goes on to say, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How long is that going to take? The entire between the now and the not yet. So our work of seeking to grow in unity and maturity will not end until he shows up and says, I'll take it from here. I'll take you from here. And so it is not something that we can ever get to and rest in between the now and the not yet. It is something that we, the church, will strive in and hopefully, and this is really important, if we are growing as a family, hopefully we're bringing in some new Christians that ask some really hard questions and mess up some of our categories and challenge some stuff that we've held that may be more tradition than biblical I love it when new believers come in and go, hey, I was was reading the Bible. What are y'all doing? This don't look like that. And sometimes it's overstated on their part. And we we got to talk about history and we got to talk about the progression of the church that, you know, as it turns out right now, it's hard for everybody just to meet in houses and all this kind of stuff. And there there was a growing of the church gathering together in larger forms and planting and all that kind of stuff. There's a progression that, that moves on from Acts chapter two, but should never give up on Acts chapter two in its, in its heart, right? And so I love it when new believers have deep questions and, and, and are messy and they don't seem to be getting it all right. I mean, maybe their language around the old campfire takes a little working with, right? Maybe their understanding of, of certain practices, culturally and otherwise, needs discipling. Amen, good. May the church... Always be messy in its growing until Christ returns. But may we always be moving toward Christ and exhibiting his characteristics in and for the life of the world. Notice what he says. Now, this is a a protective for the church. It says, so that we may no longer be children. That means immature in our thinking tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Think about this for a second. How many of y'all, you get so excited when some new video comes out by your favorite author and it's something you ain't heard before or said in some new way and you just jump all over it and you can't help yourself and you, 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 know, you send it to everybody you know or you, you want everybody to read this article and, it's, and again, it's something that's kind of new which should signal you uh, there's nothing new under the sun, actually. We, we've wrestled with a lot of these things. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't wrestle with it. Please don't hear me, Zero Summit. But sometimes we are, we are bored with the person and work of Christ and just good old salvation. We want some, some crazy end times stuff to get us pumped up and be able to read the newspaper in a new way. We want some, some, some alternate view of salvation that gives us control. Or we want some hierarchical or de-hierarching of the church that, 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 again, it's been done at some point in the reign of the church in history. And so we do, we get blown about with, our, I have to be careful of this, let me just tell you. Just so you know, I'm not throwing stones because I do a lot of reading. I will tell you, there's times, and my wife is a good help here. She can kind of tell when I've been drifting into uh, something that's probably not entirely healthy for me, right? Um, and so I have to guard against this as well. Because there are some things I read that look like it can make all this a lot easier. And I'm, I'm prone to easy too. But we can't. we got to hold firm. We can't be blown about with every wind of doctrine. We can't allow the person and work of Christ to be changed or taken from us. And it says that these things are done by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's the way of the world. The world is trying to gain followers not for eternity, but for now. It's all temporary if you look at it real close. If you look at the movements of history, even the great things we still talk about, some of them only lasted for a few short years. And some of them we're still dealing with the after effects of, but very few empires last for more than about 300 years, which is a speck in history. Seems like a long time to us. But we would do well to recognize you don't want to follow the ways of the world because they won't last. I don't care what it is. But notice the church has continued despite all that the gates of hell have thrown at her and called her to. And so us growing helps us and protects us against these things. And and notice he's gonna give us an alternative. He says, rather, instead instead of us being deceitful and cunning and doing all these things, trying to build the kingdom with the devil's tools, which is very sobering to me as a pastor. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So there's no other goal for the church. We are to seek to speak the truth in love and to grow up into the head of Jesus Christ. So we are called to do the ministry in love, which is saying an awful lot, and we could spend a whole sermon just on that, and we've talked about that before from 1 Corinthians 13. But it's important that we recognize that that is different than the world. To do things in love is to not just bowl over, is to not just... Just uh, uh, draw lines in the sand and declare in or out in the way that we so often do, and the world does. It it is not to take and make certain what is not certain or uncertain what ought to be certain. That's the way of the world, right? The entire postmodern project was to unseat everything. The only thing you could be certain about is you couldn't be certain about anything, not even that. And so it's important that we see that we are to look different than the world the ways of the world, and, the, and, and in so living this out in ministry and maturity, we are protected. And notice what it says. It says, uh, this is from whom, being Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, did you hear that? So let me back up for just a second. Every single person in this room who claims to be a Christian, you have been given a gift and a role within the context of the church. Every single one of you. Some of you think that means you don't have to use it. Some of you think that that means you you use it in some sort of kind of more like, like super abstract way that nobody can see or know. But the truth of the matter is we need each other. It is important for you to know what your calling and gift is. It is important for you to be thinking through how you're doing ministry in every context that you're in because you are. It's whether or not you're active in so doing. And so what he says here is is that the, the church, there's a way in which it works properly. And that is when we are serving and the ways in which he has gifted and called us. And listen, let me say this about our church. I think of our membership, there may only be a couple of folks who aren't serving somewhere. And, And I've said this before, you don't have to serve only in the local church. There's a sense in which you ought to be participating in some way in the local church, using your gift in some way, shape, or form, right? If you need help figuring out what that is, we'd love to talk to you about that and help you um, see how it is that you, you can serve. We also recognize you we serve in our vocations in the world, you serve with your neighbors, so we're not trying to take time away from you for that. But it's important that you recognize that you matter. Too many of us are functioning as if we are individuals gathered instead of a family called together for one purpose, and that is to declare the grace and peace of Christ to declare the reign and victory of Christ, to declare God's love to his people. And notice what it says, and that, that when this happens, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And what, what a joyous, what if, what if this church took that seriously? And that, and that what you walked away with from your time here is that you you were built up in love and there was a great joy that you, you had from being with this group of people that God has called together uniquely. What would it look like for us to take seriously that every single one of us is called to ministry? You're in it. And how might we grow in our understanding of what it looks like in our various spheres of influence? It'll ebb and flow over the years too, by the way. What would it look like if we took seriously the gospel for ourselves and for the life of the world? So listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says of this. He says, the fellowship where the word of God is expounded and applied, thats just worship, in the power of the Spirit becomes a hospital for the sick. So right away we recognize that some of you... It's not, what you, it's not that you need to do anything. You need some things done for you. You need to be ministered to, but not to remain sick, but to be built up so that you could be this next thing, which is that the church also serves as a gymnasium to build up spiritual strength and stamina. Here, the ministry of the word of God does its own healing, cleansing, transforming work on our sinful and broken lives. The result is that through its exposition, the preached and received word strengthens the fellowship of believers and builds it up in unity, in knowledge of Christ, spiritual height, and balanced growth until it comes to spiritual maturity. This is the biblical understanding of the preaching of the word of God. Its goal is not merely educational. This is something we need to become convinced of. The goal of the Word of God preached, disciple prayed, sung, confessed. It is not educational, not purely. It's transformational. Now you may say, "Why? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't really. I, we did that uh, call to worship for someone said, I didn't really get a whole lot out of that." Well, But if you thought that just you hearing it and sitting here and not having to meditate on it and go back like Matt encouraged and use it this Lord's Day Sabbath or at some other point in time, if you don't engage it beyond hearing, then you're right. The likelihood that it's just going to transform you just purely in its hearing is low. It's to be engaged. The word of God is living. It's two-edged sword piercing even to the marrow. There's times it pierces even when you don't get much out of it. It pierces later on or it's, or it's cumulative over time. Don't get me wrong. But we need to be active in engaging. And so it goes on to, he goes on to say, it informs the mind in order to touch the conscience, mold the will, cleanse the affections, and sanctify the whole life. So do you trust... Now, there's a qualification I want to give here. Do you trust the means that Jesus has provided to help you grow in serving others and maturity into his image? Do you trust them, those means? Here's what I didn't say You must carte blanche, never question anything I say. I did not say that. In fact, if you want to love me well, be such people of the book that I can't get away with anything. I'd love it. Be such people of the word that any mistruth spoken in song or confession or anything, you guys would be on it, but in love and helping the church to grow in maturity and not chasing after every wind of doctrine. But do we trust those means in the right way? I have struggled at times to see preaching as terribly effective. A monologue's a tough gig. You don't get to, you don't, there's no callback. I I much prefer Q&A and back and forth where we can wrestle. But God said that somehow this really matters. And so I'm going to ask your forgiveness for at times handling it as if it didn't. There are times I haven't trusted it like I ought, just confessionally. You may say, which times was that? I I can't remember. It's just at times, I'm I'm like, what am I doing? What are we doing? They're half asleep. They ain't getting nothing out of this. I don't blame y'all. It's tough. I know you come in tired. I know you come in weary. I know you, there's all kinds of things that eat at the edges of our attention spans. But how might we trust in faith, that God, through ordinary means, which I think that's really important, through ordinary means, transforms his people in spirit and truth. And then it's worthy of you to consider this not in a way to try to beat yourself up, but instead to celebrate the goodness of God, to ask yourself, what are some ways in which you have grown in serving others through the means of grace in the last year? Don't approach this question triumphalistically. Don't look for major things, look for small things, ways in which you've grown, subtle things even. And what are some ways in which you have matured further into the image of Christ through the means of grace than the last year? If you're having a tr- trouble answering those questions, ask some people near you that love you and give them some time to answer. They may have to think about it a little bit and don't take that as offense. Because sometimes it's hard to see when you're up close, Right? So Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, of all the things it could teach us, it teaches us this, that the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which is just everyday living, proclaiming the triumph of Christ in grace and peace. And it matures us further into the image of Christ to protect us, to guide us, to lead us, and to grant us great joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Thank you that you have provided ordinary means for your church to be built up, for your church to be equipped. Thank you that the ministry is not some super abundant thing that we have to achieve. No, it's, it's something we just live into. It's something we recognize that's already going on in and through our lives. The question is, how active are we in participating using the means that you said are the means of grace? Do we trust prayer? Do we trust your word? Do we trust the people that you have called to help us learn about the river and the banks of the river? God, thank you that you have so graciously given us Christ, that he is our head. We have a clear picture of what we're being called to become. We make it muddy, but it is clear that we are to grow into the image of Christ, which is the display of your characteristics in this world. We're to grow in being steadfast in our love, in being steadfast in our faithfulness. We are called to be more long-suffering and forgiving and merciful and gracious. We are also called to be just. We're called to be wise. Lord, would you help us in the power of the Holy Spirit as a church, do that in love? Would you help us to take seriously what it means to be mature in Christ, that it's not... It's not near as triumphalistic and, and weird and strange as we have made it to be or unattainable even. No, we, we, we can mature into the image of Christ because we already are. We are spending our lives discovering what that looks like. Help us do that in the beauty of sanctification and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us as the church love one another well. Help us to seek unity in the faith and the knowledge of Christ. Help us to be able to declare there is one Lord. There is one God who is all in all. One spirit. One salvation. One gospel. Help us do that in such a way that it draws people to you through your church. Help us to grow. Help us to grow in the ways that will glorify you. In Christ's name, amen.